Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Open Conversations. I'm your host, Joseph. This is episode 21. On today's show, I welcome my guest, Michelle. So Michelle recently moved from New York back to Ghana permanently, and we had a nice discussion about that. So we talked about her new initiative, which is actually, you know, helping returnees come back to Ghana to acclimate better. And we also talked about, you know, just how she adjusted when she moved back permanently back to Ghana. We also talked about other things in Ghana, especially with the year of return, you know, the whole notion about Ghana and how it's projected to the world and what's the actual reality on the ground. And she also had an interesting take about feminism and culture. I thought it was a very nuanced take, and I think you'll be interested in listening. So, yeah, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Awesome. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit under the weather today, but hopefully t- by tomorrow I should be a bit better. Yeah, there must be something going around because same here. <laughs> yeah, well, right now we're just kind of being cautious. You never know if it's just yeah. a small headache or something worse, but we're just being cautious. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. But how have you been? What have you been up to? Um, I've been I've been doing well. I've just been um kind of rolling with the punches as far as you know, COVID goes and everything is this year is not shaping up to be what we thought it'd be, so still adjusting. Yeah, I think that's been for all of us. I mean, March came and everything got locked down and then everything just went to crap. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very accurate. Everything did go to crap. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Yeah, it's been terrible. So how how have you been coping though? Um, for me, I think the most difficult part was the schools being closed mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my daughter's school schedule dictated like what I was able to do, where I was able to go and for how long, but being that she's home, <laughs> it makes it a bit difficult to, uh, try to get in and out. And also because, you know, I have a child at home, I'm extra cautious with where I go when I do go outside. Um, so yeah, it's just been, you know, trying to find new routines and um, just instill better habits as hmm. well. Yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. tough because I have a three-year-old niece and she is just around the house and she is just a bother because I'm trying to work from home. <laughs> she keeps coming into my room right. and just disturbing me every single time. Yep, that's what toddlers do. Yeah. And everything is an emergency. Yes, it is. Everything is an emergency <laughs> to them. Oh, I need to put a TV on. I'm like, okay, I got you. I need water. Okay, I got you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Absolutely. But you got to love them. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to love them because you got to keep them. You can't do anything. You can't give them to the school because you need to be cautious and everything else. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. how has it changed your routine besides working from home and stuff? Uh, well, for me, um, it's changed a lot because I used to work from home mostly, but I used to also go outside to like work from cafes okay. or stuff like that. 
But when the lockdown came, I couldn't go anywhere. So it was like 24 hours stuck at home. Your computer is always on and you just didn't have time to do anything else. So uh. it's like being a prisoner of work. Somebody said that you're not working from home, you're home working, something like that. And it's like, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You really are home working. Yeah, and you can be home doing, you know, home relaxing. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, that whole has just changed everything. But I'm trying to like come up with new routines. So like Saturdays, I go out not to like crowded area, just like to go out, get fresh air, go to different spots and just like relax because the week is just like terrifyingly bad. Right, right. It's very important to take the, those times to, you know, just relax and breathe because otherwise I'm just going to go crazy at home all day working and especially with toddlers around, it, it can get a bit much. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, especially with the toddlers. I mean, they can be a handful. They're, they're more, yeah. It's, <laughs> I just can't imagine like 24 hours. It's, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, it, it could be a nightmare, but, you know, sometimes it's sweet and it's just all worth it. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, sometimes my niece comes and it's like, okay, I've had a bad day, but seeing her makes everything a bit, you know, a little less stressful, to be honest. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, kids have a way of doing that. Mm. Yeah, because, like, they don't know what's That's going awesome. on. They don't know what's going on in the world, so it's like they're so innocent, right? Yeah, all they care for is Peppa Pig and, <laughs> and feed me and give me juice for your needs. And everything revolves around you. Yeah, basically. Basically that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot to ask. So, like, I know that you left. I think, when did you leave Ghana and when did you come back? I can't forget. I remember the dates. Um, I left in 2018. And then I I came back and no, I left in 2017, June of 2017, and then I came back November 2019. Nice. Because I know that you've been doing kind yeah. of this whole like being realistic about moving back to Ghana and everything. So, like, are you like permanently back or is this like a short stay? Oh, I'm permanently back. It's official, awesome. official. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah so like, I, I think it's a, like a great discussion to have about moving back to Ghana because I know that was last year we had the whole year of return thing and now we're kind of pushing that to like, if you're in America, you can come back home, you know, you can just come back home and, you know, come back to your, like your homeland. Right. Your right. So how, how has that been for you? Like, what's like... For you, like, I think you plan this, right? Like, you plan that you're not just going to, like, come back, um, like, just going to come back at once, but you're going to kind of gauge it and see how it goes, right? Um, I mean, from the beginning, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, the beginning, I came to Ghana for a funeral. Um, my granddad passed away. And so we had to come to this funeral in 2015. And prior to that, I hadn't been in Ghana for like, I haven't been to Ghana for like 10, almost 10 years, I think nine years. 
Um, and when I came, I think, um, yeah, I saw something and it also felt like home. I think besides New York City, nowhere has ever felt like home. Um, but as soon as I landed in Accra, I just felt like a sense of home and warmth and just, it was so welcoming. And um, during this time, there was a lot going on in the state um, as, you know, there always is, mm-hmm. especially for Black people. Um, and so we were going, I think we had like back to back cases of like, you know, unarmed black people being shot and killed by the police and, you know, things like this just didn't really sit well with me. And it just, at one point I lost faith in the United States. I just felt like it, things had progressed to the point of no return for me personally. And I wasn't going to sit around and watch how far they can go. So, um, yeah, five years ago, I decided to come for six months and see, like, what it's like, you know, to actually live here beyond, like, a vacation. Um, so when I came, I stayed at my uncle's. And after that stay at my uncle's, I decided I'm not doing that again. It's always, <laughs> where are you going? Every day more. So, yeah, so much unwanted and unnecessary stress so um after my six months were over i decided yeah i'm gonna come back and move permanently so um i went back to the states and i worked almost any job i could find any and every job i could find i think at one point i was working like two or three jobs and um yeah i saved up my money and i came back here but this time i intended to um, finish the house here. Um, so yeah, I depleted all my savings and resources and connections and, um, finally made it happen. Yeah. And now it exists as Villa Diaspora, which is a, a space for people who want to move to Ghana or return to Ghana, but do it on their own. But at the same time, having someone looking out for you, you know, so there's me, an American-born person, now living in Ghana for the past five years. You know, I can now share everything that I've come to know and learn about the place and about living here and moving here um, with other people, you know, so that, you know, they can have a bit of direction. Because it's, it can get really challenging maneuvering through this space when you don't have family here or know anyone here, you know? So, um, so yeah. <laughs> that's my uh that's my uh story in a nutshell i mean yeah i mean the fact that you just chose that okay you want to come back to ghana and live and you you just said you were like two three jobs and then you saved up and they finally came back i think some people like have the impression that they can just like come back all at once and just stay which is not really the case like you really have to like study what's down here first before you decide yeah. okay i'm gonna move here right Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people are, um, a lot of those people are naive because I think people get, have this idea in their mind that if it's in Ghana or if it's in Africa, period, that it's cheap, that living in Ghana, especially living in Accra is cheap, when the reality is living in Accra is like living in Manhattan. Hmm. However... <laughs> You have to pay everything in advance. 
everything is cash. There's no such thing as credit, mm-hmm. no credit card, you know, so people don't really take that into account. And I find it borderline offensive because you feel like because of whatever, you can come and just be skipping the line or that it's a cheap place to live because it's Africa and Africans live here. You know, I think um, oftentimes people are confronted by their lack of planning um, and it makes for a terrible experience for them. You know, um, they just pick up whatever and think they can come here with like $500 in their pocket and make a living. And Mm. it doesn't work that way. That 500 alone cries. It won't even reach your rent. (laughs) <laughs> for being on there. yeah but um i would definitely um advise anyone who wants to move to ghana to start planning um and it is important to plan on paper but also go to the place that you're looking to move to so if it's accra come to accra but don't come to accra as a tourist so let's say instead of staying in usu you would stay in adenta you know or Jolu or something like that Mm -hmm. you know so that you can take yourself out of the environment of like you know party town tourist location and you know bring it closer to home to the community so that you can really get a sense of like what your budget would be like what your lifestyle would be like how do you like living here and knowing that someone can come with their megaphone reading their bible out loud like 5 a.m in the morning (laughs) You know, these are all things that you have to consider. Um, And if you just sell everything where you came from and just move here sight unseen, it can become a bit of a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend just packing up all your stuff and just saying, or coming for a visit and deciding you want us to stay. No. Yeah, but, no. But what do you think of like the way like Ghana sometimes like portrayed? Because you know, I think it was like year return. I remember seeing some like promotional videos, and they were showing all the nice spots in Osu and East Legon and all that stuff. But like, if you live down here, you know that this is not what Ghana looks like in totality. Like, there's different places that don't look like that. But what do you think about how we kind of? you know, show Ghana to the outside world? I'm so glad you asked that. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, and I think people do it for a few reasons. Um, one of the reasons is um, they are kind of subscribing to the notion that, um, well, I, I guess I would say it's a, um, oh, what's this word? or phrase I'm looking for, it's um, an insecurity, right? Because you feel like people are coming to associate you with um, poverty and everything else, you're going to distract them with something else. Um, and then come these images of, like they, like, like they say, the Ghana they don't show you, or the mm-hmm. Africa they don't show you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, they sh- love to show these spaces, but um, leave out the fact that these aren't even African-owned. Right. So it could be the Ghana, they don't show you all right and all of that, but what sense does it really make if it's not even Ghanaian-owned, you know? Um, and I think people want to show 
it's like a sense of validation that we too we have nice stuff here mm-hmm. you know um when i what i find is that a lot of people especially those of who are within the year of return crowd who are coming for like a sense of connection and you know to learn about culture a lot of them are quite taken aback when they come and they find these spaces you know mm, yeah. um that kind of suit the way that they want to portray Ghana. People want to go to someone's village. They want to pound food. They want to feel like, you know, they want to learn about people. They don't want to come and stay at a poolside all day. Um, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. That works for some people. But I think people want a more authentic experience. Because if you come and you're, like, lounging around all day and your whole itinerary is set, is that really an authentic Ghanaian experience? You're just coming and going, you know, to and from tourist spots where you're less and less likely to meet a local Ghanaian person who you can have a conversation with, learn about their background, their culture, their lifestyle, and things like that. Um, and I think another unfortunate part is that this is the Ghana that people come ex- and experience and decide and declare that they want to move to Ghana. Mm-hmm. They want to move to that Ghana. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. like, you know, the true Ghana. You know. Um, yeah. yeah, so I feel like people who portray these images are doing Ghanaians a disservice as well as our tourists a disservice. Um, if you go to India, you know you're going to expect filth. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to put it. You know, you know you're going to expect litter. But people treat Africa, I'm just going to say Africa because that's what, how they call us. But um, they treat Africa like a spiritual place, like right. a garden of Eden, right? Like it's not even a physical place, but a place that exists in your soul. Wangana is, is really not like that. It's a place. <laughs> people <laughs> live here. People, people live here. People do business here. Like it's a place just like where you came from. You know, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I find it really interesting and quite bizarre, but um, yeah, I don't think it's helping us. We need to be more um, realistic with the pictures that we put out. You know, if there's a hotel here, but right next to it, there's like a filthy gutter, include yeah. the gutter. Like it is what it is. When <laughs> yeah. they come, are they not going to meet the gutter? They, they're definitely going to meet it and they're going to be even more offended that it was left out, you know? Because um, you want to know what to expect, but then you come and it's not quite what you expected, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, that, I think that's totally on point because, like, even the city now, it's becoming very. Somebody said this thing. I was I was talking to somebody one time ago, and I was saying that the city is becoming very gentrified. Like, mm-hmm. we're seeing way more like high-rise apartment buildings taking over, like where people live. So they're just clearing out those small slums and they're building these high-rise apartments which are costing like $500,000 which nobody can afford. And it's just like totally changing how the city looks. And it's like, that's what people like apparently. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so like, it's so bizarre to see how things are changing now. I agree with you 100%. It is so bizarre. I remember the first time that it stuck out to me. I was by, I think, Stambic Heights. 
mm-hmm. and I saw a woman selling oranges and she just stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, and, you know, right in front of this high rise building. And I really thought to myself, you know, she's probably walked up and down this street for many years, right? Yeah. Has yeah. seen all it's developed into and things like that. Like what space within this space have we made for this woman who is of this area? of this country you know and i don't know who's coming to live in these five hundred thousand dollar apartment with two, and it seems like somehow all the windows are too small <laughs> i don't know what kind of architecture that is but i find that you know we're not even boldly pushing out forcing out Ghanaians. we're just putting up structures and totally ignoring them yeah. you know yeah. and um, the way that what these structures also do is that it segregates us, right? But no one will have to tell you that you can't come here. Like you, you'll just see that, okay, this is not for me. You know, and you shouldn't feel that way in your own country, mm-hmm. no matter who you are, you know. But, um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It's extremely bizarre. And I don't think people really want these high rises. I don't think they want to live there because they can't afford to live there. Um, I think it's one of those uh, things that we do in Ghana where one person does a business and is doing well. So we all want to do that same business. <laughs> doing well. True. And then we oversaturate the market. It's a very Ghanaian thing to do. Very. You know, um, yeah, that and I have other theories like, you know, people are here washing their money and things like that. But uh, that's a, for a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ghana has, a, oh, I'll say Accra has a lot of different like characteristics and personalities for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, Definitely yeah, for sure. It's, it's always interesting because I think even the way we live as far as like housing and stuff, like, it's funny when people ask, like, how, pe- how come, like, young people are always living with their parents? Because, well, the rent is really high. <laughs> you can't afford to live anywhere else. Exactly. And I also think that um, it's something that's cultural. True, yeah. You know, you leave your parents' home to your marital home. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think um, usually it's people from the West who, you know, make these observations because in the States, for instance, where I'm from, um, if you're still living at home with your parents, it's like a foul, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, ill. Um, <laughs> but over here, it's a necessity and it's a way of life and it's our culture, you know? So we don't really see anything wrong with it. You would think, of course, they would live at home with their parents. In fact, women would rather you live with your parents than you live in a bachelor pad. Is that true? I mean, I think some women, right? Mm-hmm. Because it kind of gives you an, an understanding like, oh, okay, at least I know like, because you don't think that someone will cheat on you while they're in their parents' home. Right. right? That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And especially if like you're in there, you know, <laughs> you're in there, in there with the parents and everything like that. It gives some a sense of security. But I mean, it's not all that realistic, but yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) yeah. But in the States, yeah, if you live at home with your parents, then you're a scrub or 
your low life or <laughs> you know but yeah besides the rent being way too high and having to pay two years sometimes in advance you know it's also part of our culture it's, no one is forcing you out you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're there until you don't have to be there anymore and I think that's what's missing from a lot of households in the states because um, parents, a lot of parents, especially um, from lower income households, you know, people of color are often waiting till their child, child turns 18 so they can just push them out and live their own lives. But mm-hmm. I yeah. think the difference within our culture um, is that you want to make sure like your worthiness is based on how well you've set up your child for success right so whether it's like you know bringing them into the family business or making sure that they go to all the best schools you know and not until they're ready will you push them out you know but yeah yeah, in the states it doesn't really work that way so then we get all of this baggage with it. Like, oh, if you live at home still, you're a scrub and all these other things. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. But, um, I'm always wondering if it's changing though, because it, it seems that we're adopting a lot of this Western thing. Like, okay, you're kind of like, okay, you're, you're out of university. Like, do you have your own place? Like, do you have a job? Do you have a car? I don't know. It might be changing a little bit. We're trying to adopt more from the Western guys. Yeah, um, I could see that. Because, for instance, if I go to, like, the universities, it's like America 2.0, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, those people are not lacking anything as far as, like, you know, the Western influence. They've got all the gadgets and they've, got the language and they've got the sensibilities like oh well in order for me to feel like you're worthy enough for me to date or you know um you have to have your own place and have this have that meanwhile the person requiring these things they don't they typically don't have it themselves you know um and then of course that same pressure causes people to go out and like seek money or satisfy that and feel like you know they're worthy or of value um but yeah i think that it's only working to our detriment mm-hmm. because um one thing that we a lot of us don't really take into consideration is that there are ways you might see that someone in the state let's say you're following someone on instagram and they have all the cool new things they're driving a new car they just bought a new house but um, people don't usually take into account that, okay, the house might be leased, so mm-hmm. might the car, and mm-hmm. everything is on credit. You know, so you yourself are in a better standing than this person. But because we live in such a capitalist society and um, we're all, you know, materialistic somehow, it's, um, yeah, it works out to um, our detriment, like I was saying before. Because now you're killing yourself <laughs> to <laughs> obtain the very thing that this person themselves don't even have ownership of, you know. Um, and I think um, a lot of people aren't honest because it's social media. If of you're course, honest, yeah. then, you know, yeah. <laughs> no one <laughs> wants to be out there vulnerable and, 
is sharing their true life. So they fake it so they make it. But the thing is, people are here trying to participate without this extra context, you know, and really killing themselves to, to do it or feeling, you know, worthless if they don't. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, with social media, I think it's it's not helping like in the long term. I think it's really getting worse because like you have maybe like the local celebrities are always flaunting or whatever and everybody wants to copy that style or show that, okay, I'm also living a ball of life, but it's not real. So yeah, you're right. People are killing themselves in this like country to look in a certain way. And it's really, I think it's really getting bad, especially for the young people. Oh yeah, especially for the young people because, you know, how are you going to obtain all these things? You know, maybe you're a child of someone who really had to struggle to send you to the school and pay your tuition and everything like that. And now, you know what I mean? And now you see all of this flashiness and you want to participate. So however means that you have to make money is not going to be one that is honorable. Mm-hmm. you know because if you need an iphone is like what let's say a thousand dollars right yeah. i'm sure it's more but that's almost six thousand ghana cities mm-hmm. yeah now what can you do in a short amount amount of time to get six thousand ghana cities as a student who already has a you know course load that they have to focus on and all these other things you know assuming that you're going into class, you're doing your homework, you're passing, right? Which is your only job at that, you know, at that moment. Like, yeah. what are you doing exactly? You know, and oftentimes, you know, guys falling, falling, you know, um, selling, <laughs> for lack of a better, you know, term or word. And um, yeah, and it just, from what I gather, it makes these the universities seem like a more of a runway to really show off your material possessions in order to, you know, be deemed worthy. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a really bad situation <laughs> out there. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, yeah, because it's funny to like go on social media and see mostly like the young people, what they're talking about. And it's like, wow, you guys haven't seen anything yet to get to like the real adult life. (laughs) Oh, no, they have not. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to watch because I think when I was in undergrad, we had Facebook and that was it. Mm-hmm. And there's only but so much you can do on Facebook and you couldn't really have Facebook on your phone. So it's not like you're, you know, in your phone all day on Facebook and things like that. So I think for us, it wasn't, the influence wasn't that, you know, um, dramatic. Now it's, it's everything, you know? Even it's even changed people's career path where people now want to be influencers, you yeah. know, anything else. Yeah, you know, gone are the days where kids wanted to be doctors and lawyers and presidents. Now they want to be like their favorite YouTube gamers or YouTube uh, influencers or video bloggers. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's also changed um, who the heroes are. Yeah, today. most definitely, most definitely. Yeah, because nowadays the influencers are like the most visible like celebrities we have. Oh yeah. Yeah, and this is why, like, I have like a love, a, I have a love hate relationship with social media because it's it's just not like it's not real, and I can see how people are looking up to it, but it's not real. Like, unless you get into the real world and see what's happening, all the pictures and stuff you're seeing online is not going to help you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But um, I do wonder if, if at some point there'll be a shift, you know, where um, everything is brought back to basics, like an undoing <laughs> hmm. of um, this social media world we're living in. And what would it take? Yeah, that's a good question. I do wonder what it would take. Yeah. But... um. Yeah, I mean, we'll live to see. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we live to see it because I, I just think it's really harming like most people' mental mental health because you can't be online all the time and then see and you're comparing yourself to somebody who you think is really living a life that's not real. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, but that's that's. I mean, that's social media life in in, in a nutshell, really. But but for you, like since you've been (laughs) since you've been back, like are there things in Ghana, like as far as like culturally or just like in society, that you're still like kind of shocked they haven't really evolved or adapted to? Um, I think initially it was like really small petty things, like having to agree. I don't feel like it and I think a part of it has to do with being a New Yorker it's not a part of our culture (laughs) you know um but I think with all the things that I'd like uh, fought against or challenged I came to find the reasoning behind it and you know and I just stopped challenging them because you know a lot of these things exist for a reason so Mm -hmm. for instance the greeting if you live in a neighborhood with someone (laughs) <laughs> it serves, it's you know to your benefit for them to know you and for you to know them right um especially yeah. given in the ki- the country that we're living in where i mean who are you gonna call if you're in trouble is it not mm-hmm. the neighbor that you didn't greet <laughs> mm-hmm. you know um so things like that and um you know there are other things as well that i felt were um bias but came to then understand like the purpose and reasoning for it I think a lot of like the gender roles here I had a hard time you know um, navigating but I think um, when I came to learn why things exist with it the way that they do and how it works for people here um, yeah it, it really helped because it wasn't something that I was fighting because there's not and it's working for the people who live here you know and I think oftentimes um, as Americans we go everywhere and try to change things or you know I think if it doesn't look like our system then it must be a failing system 
oftentimes. Um, but another thing that I think I had to, um, oh, I just had it in my mind and I completely flipped. Um, oh, what was it? Yeah, it'll come to me. <laughs> it'll come <laughs> back to me. But yeah, I had, um, yeah, I had some difficulties adjusting. And also, um, I think for me, personally, um, I struggled with, you know, people's assumptions about me because mm-hmm. I look a certain way yeah. or I sound a certain way. Um, but then I came to understand and acknowledge that in this country that we live in, you're judged based off of what you look like, period. Yeah, there's true. nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you know, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And the more you fight it, the more fatigued you become, you know, um, you can't, you can't change it. So you just have to understand these things and just find your place within it. Or just understand that um, you're going to have to take a bold stance and say that you just don't care and then go out looking however you feel like looking like right Mm -hmm. um but if these things do get to you because people will treat you different because you have holes in your jeans or because (laughs) you dyed your hair blonde (laughs) and i've done both and i've seen how people react to me um i think a lot of people are quick to like shove the label of nigerian on me and i'm like but i'm Nigerian. really (laughs) yeah yeah so people are you nigerian (laughs) and i'm like no i'm one of you guys you know, because they're trying to place you. Uh, and I think, you know, over here, if you can't be placed into a category, it makes people uncomfortable. You yeah, know, um, yeah. people need to be able to figure you out who you are. Are you a threat? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so I think in the beginning, it really affected me because I would find myself dressing differently and things like that. But I think this past time, especially coming back with my daughter, there were certain things that I knew she would have to experience and then she would also be experiencing it from me. Um, So I wanted to show up as myself always, no matter what people who wear these kind of jeans are talked about or, you know, or anything. I just wanted to be authentically myself and just own it with my chest. and I think since I've made that decision, like these things very rarely bother me because it's a system that someone has put in place to work for them. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it, I have to part, you know, participate. And um, I think another thing <clears throat> that has been quite an adjustment, but I've kind of gotten over is, um, you know, I think a lot of people's chief complaint in this country is that, you know, there's no infrastructure, the mm-hmm. systems, and this and that. Um, and it's easy for you to join the this uh, back and forth. And I think yeah. oftentimes expats and repatriates and returnees are the loudest <laughs> to come and shout about how it doesn't work if this was somewhere else. But the somewhere else that if this was is the very somewhere else that you're running away from, True. you know? Um, so for me, I felt like, you know, this is the life that I chose and therefore I have to kind of roll with whatever it comes with. You know, if you want to eat corn, you have to, you know, peel, you know, take off the husk or, or chew through it. Like, what is your, (laughs) (laughs) what decision are you making? And, um, I think a huge part of me, um, 
adapting to Ghana life, understanding the systems that I feel don't work or that aren't in place, and just understand that this is the way that things operate here, and I just have to find my place within it rather than trying to um, combat it, you know, and just yeah. go find the flow and work with it. Because I think, um, you know, in trying to fight the system or change the system, it's exhausting. And then you'll find yeah. that you spend all your time doing that, you know, yeah. um, and not accomplishing your goals, so to speak, you know. But um, I found that finding my place in the system and just <laughs> doing what the Romans do has definitely <laughs> helped. You know, whether I agree with it or not, it's the way I came to meet the space. And yeah. I'm doing it the way they do it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of people who do come back to God, even I was one of them, when you come back, you try to like fight against the system. But yeah, you get exhausted. Like it's, it's hard. You can't do it by yourself. Even people who are doing it, right. trying to do it alongside you also get tired. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like fighting the system is just not, it's, it's hard. So you need to like pick your battles in a way and just kind of like go with the flow. Like you said, just pick your lane and try to make the best out of it because yeah, like you said, it's, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think um, it also goes with that, goes along with the colonizing mindset of thinking that something is broken. So you're coming to be the one to fix it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> true. true. <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah um but yeah so i think um just studying something from afar you know you learn as much as you can and then once you know the ins and outs you can operate better yeah true i didn't notice you mentioned something about gender roles earlier and i wanted to get mm -hmm. your take on this right um, I think that like this new wave of feminism is slowly coming like to everywhere in the world, like even in Ghana, for instance. And now people are speaking out about feminism and trying to talk about the patriarchy and how like it sucks, which it does. And also like, how do we like embrace more like women in like public places or public offices? But there's always pushback and everything else. Like you said, when you dress differently as a woman, you are judged differently compared to if you're a man and do stuff like that. Like, do you, like, what do you think about this whole new wave of feminism? I think it's interesting to see how it's being fought against and how it's also being embraced by, I guess, the younger people. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I was in the States, I was all about feminism, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think it's because where I was coming from, people who looked like me were suffering from a great lack, right, and inequity. Right. Um, women, I mean, relatively speaking, just earned the right to vote mm -hmm. not too long ago. Right. Um, but I feel like in Ghana um, specifically, women never really had these issues. You know, we've been fighting the good fight, you know, on the same playing field as men for years. You know, like we've had power, we're king makers, you know, if you're an Akan person, mm -hmm. you know, um, I feel like we had a lot of what, you know, the white women who created feminism couldn't even fathom having access to. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so it's one of those things where you, you, you just examine the black woman's role in this world now. And you wouldn't be able to, the way that we're treated and you know disrespected, you would never think that we were kingmakers somewhere. True. Right? Um, and I think that for us, rather than participating in someone else's feminism, we need to go back and see who we are, who we've always been, and do more of that in that way. Because I think there's also a um, breakdown in, you know, there's like a language barrier breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. we feel like, oh, not language, but like some sort of communication. Yeah. Because we feel like, um, well, if a guy does this, then I should be able to do it too. But that's the thing. I feel like what we have here is balance, right? Yeah. Now, of course, <laughs> that's not the same. That sometimes the scale is tipped in and is not in like one gender's uh, favor, you know. But I think um, to understand who exactly we are and what we've always had, you know, we will understand that these white feminists are not our mates. You know, yeah, um, they don't have a leg to stand on. We we have a leg to stand on. <laughs> like, <laughs> you without queen mothers, what what do you think you guys would be doing? You know, we need towers within it. I remember when I first came, moved to Ghana, and I think um, I cooked a meal, and my cousin and I were like really really close. So then he'd asked me to come and dish it, and I gave him a piece of my mind <laughs> because <laughs> I said. Ah, I've cooked the food, now you want me to dish it? I gave him all my feminist jargon and, you know, <laughs> and things like that. Um, but then later on, I, you know, came to understand that it's actually, um, it's like a respect thing, right? Right, right? So if someone calls you to come and serve the food, it's an honor to do that, right? So after learning that, the next time I was faced with this same request, I took it in stride because I understood the language, you know, the culture language. I understood what was being, uh, not what, only what was being said, but the, the gesture, mm. you know? And I feel like oftentimes, we, you know, we've ignored our own culture and lessons so much so, and we've adopted and filled our brains with, you know, and anything that comes from the West seems best for us, but it doesn't yeah. work for us. It's not compatible. Yeah. Um, so we're leaving all of this rich knowledge on the table to go and pick up somebody's feminism because you, you want to wear pants, I want to wear pants, <laughs> you know, and it's very petty. And I feel like what we have here is, you know, not all of it works, and some of it is toxic. I mean, I'm not going to lie. But I think at the very root and core of it, you know, women have been doing a lot here. You know, if it wasn't for a woman, Kwame Nkrumah wouldn't have gotten as far as he did. You know, yeah. even in, like, terms of power plays, you know, the way that he and his wife were connected to be married, like, it took a woman. You can't say, oh, okay, you and this guy will be best friends and you're going to do this Pan-Africanism thing. Yeah. You know, like, it's, we need to understand that we have a power. Like, if a man is the head, like people like to say, then the woman is the neck, you know? And I think one thing about Ghanaian women is that they've figured out a way to uh, hone in the power of their femininity, mm -hmm. you know, um, in a way that completely trumps feminism 
Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot, these are tactics, <laughs> you know, and I feel like with feminism, you, it, it, what it does is it pumps you full of ego yeah, and so much so that true. you can't see what is happening, what is going on. You're missing out on your culture, the culture that you are always scapegoating, you know, like you're missing out on true gems and lessons here, you know, because you want to go and do big ego show of feminism. You know, but yeah. in the very end, the only thing you have is your culture. And sure, patriarchy exists and a lot of it is unfair, but it's up to us to detangle like which is which, mm. you know, um, because if you're going and saying that, oh, okay, he asked me to serve food and that doesn't sit well with me because I'm a feminist, then you're mm. missing out the whole, you're missing the whole point of the gesture mm. that someone was trying to make towards you. You know, so I feel like it's kind of um, introducing it into the society is not compatible. And we don't speak the same language as these white feminists, you know, mm-hmm. because we've, we've always had. Maybe if there was something to c- combat like elitism mm-hmm. or, or classism, I'll take it, you know, because that's the very root, you know, because if you're um, a rich and powerful woman, no one can tell you anything even if you are a woman, the most they can do is go in and say something behind your back or on a radio station, but who cares, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just feel like um, it's blinded us and is kind of hurting us into a certain direction, right? So when you adopt someone else's ideolo- ideologies, you are now being herded with the same people who believe in that one thing. So now we're all a part of the feminist you know, where we're ignoring culture and, you know, language and things like that for a badge of honor that we're not even included, like, we're not even included in this narrative of feminism, like, worldwide. True. African women are the only people who, okay, well, feminism is for these people, these people who have sense, because we we don't have sense. Meanwhile, you are trying to mimic the very thing we've always had, which is equity. You know, so I think Ghanaian women do themselves a huge disservice by participating in feminism here because honestly, white feminists are not our mates. You know, we're starting from a different plateau, different level, and they are now reaching up, but they've distracted us so much that we think that we are on the same level and fighting for the same thing, you know? They are fighting for a seat at the table with white men. Mm-hmm. But we've been sitting at our table with our men for ages, centuries, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of like how people feel about, like, religion here, how we gave them one thing, we closed our eyes and opened it, and now, you know, things have exchanged hands. Yeah. You know, I think we need to focus on the power that we do have, and that's the only way we're going to make change, you know. Um, and not go and try to uh, just bully our way into things. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, that's actually a very interesting take. I, I mean, I, I haven't really thought about it from that aspect. But yeah, as far as like culturally and everything, I think you're on point with that because we do try to adapt like this kind of westernized feminism and kind of implant it in Ghana but we have a different culture where we live where our families are set up is totally different so yeah in a way it is different and we need to like really consider that 
so yeah, I think that's a really good take on that. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's my take on feminism here. I never thought that I would be saying half of these things, but um, I think it's what Ghana living in before, I don't think I'd even be able to say that sentence or statement without like <laughs> feeling sick to my stomach. But, you know, I think, um, you know, in throughout all the species, male and female all have different roles. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. let's say you are, like, for instance, I come from a family of farmers. When we go to the farm, the women have to walk up in the front while the men hang back. I mean, it's not that, oh, the back is better, so we just want to be in the back having fun. No, <laughs> something can come from the back and you need, you know, like it makes sense. But I feel like when people only see through their feminist agenda, then it's like, no, I want to walk in the back too. Meanwhile, I mm-hmm. don't know what's back there. You yeah. just see it that it's some, you know, someone's participating without you and you feel like you should be involved. So then that's the only thing that means anything to you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I forgot why I brought that up, but <laughs> insert that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. I mean, it's a good. I think it's a good take. I think you're right. I think sometimes we don't look back at our history and kind of learn at why some things are the way they are. Like you said, some things are toxic, absolutely, but also there's a meaning behind why some things are like this. So yeah, I think I think you're on point. I think we've been really westernized to the point where we're just kind of taking everything that they do and just kind of trying to retrofitted into our own culture, which is not working, actually. No, it's not working at all. Because I think in order to change the society with like a new thought, it has to be able to penetrate at all level. You know, you can't just be in your, let's say, late 20s and say, I'm a feminist, so we're going to make Ghana a feminist country. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what are you teaching the kids? And how are you changing the mindset of the elderly? You know, I think people only focus on themselves or, you know, or they just do all of this within a vacuum and not really think of how to spread their message in a way that is understandable. You know, so I think, you know, it's like one of those hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say, but feminism in this country is a hobby. You know, yeah, I think, yeah. You post this and that and then really you're not... You know, because really, if you wanted to do it with your chest, then you will take it to your father. <laughs> now, can you take it to your dad? No, you can't. So be quiet and sit down. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I don't think it's sustainable, you know, for this country at all, especially yeah. if we're not able to share it across the masses for it to, you know, be received and make sense. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's very on point. I think it's a really good, like, um, dissertation. That's actually really on point. But yeah, so yeah. Yeah, cool. So I think we can definitely close on this. So like, um, so what is your plans going forward? Like, I know, I know you're back in Ghana permanently. So what are you planning? Like, what are you, what are you planning on doing before this whole COVID thing came and just messed up the whole tour of 2020? Before COVID, okay, so in November when I came, um, a few partners and I created an event called the Black Gala, 
and it was meant to be like an annual event and we're so excited we did the first one so we had planned like we were starting on doing the second one and you know improving and stuff and then COVID happened and you know it was very everything was up in the air because we don't know what this thing is exactly um how long will it be here um how long will it be changing our lives like this you know um so yeah at some point we had to put that to rest for this year um but on my end i have villa diaspora which is a co-living space for people within the diaspora who want to move to Ghana. Um, so I had what well, I was meant to have my first um, guest for Villa Diaspora in December, but somehow mm -hmm. it didn't pan out. Um, so I was looking forward to, you know, <laughs> recouping yeah. my losses throughout the year. And then COVID happened. Um, but then I also realized that it's, this is, might sound controversial but i think covid is exactly what we all needed um now it it sucks because people are dying and getting sick and you know that's horrendous but i feel like this slowdown has been extremely helpful and you know if you take advantage of it then you know it'd be wise to take advantage of it otherwise it's, the time is going to come and go and all you have done is complain about COVID, you know, but um, it's given me time to really restructure and um, just build community around the space so that when the borders finally do open up, then, you know, <laughs> we'll fill the space. Um, but yeah, it's a project that's near and dear to my heart because I've seen people who want to move to Ghana, but, you know, don't meet the right people Mm -hmm. and then end up, you know, wasting their time and money and just becoming utterly heartbroken over yeah. something that was meant to be a dream come true, yeah. you know? Um, so I wanted to provide like a safe space for people to have these experiences and also experience those people who are just like them, you know, who are also returnees or expats or um, repatriates themselves. Um, so Villa Diaspora is, you know, I'm still, we're still building community and waiting until the borders open up so we'll see <laughs> yeah i mean i really hope it works out because i think that is a, like a great initiative because i know like people are really looking forward to coming down like from the u.s because like they're just tired of that country like it's just getting worse almost every day and it's like this is ridiculous so yeah i, I really hope it takes off yeah. i hope so too because um I think for me, you know, it was a, an emotional decision to create the space um, as that, and not just have it be heartbreaking to feel like you have nowhere to go, you know, um, and that you are just not wanted here, not wanted there, and just have no connections or ties to the continent, you know. So I want to create the space and feel like family here. Myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. But yeah, I mean, I think we can even end on that. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you got a toddler, you got to take care of. But yeah, I think it's been a really good conversation. Um, really appreciate you taking the time out, even though your kid is in the background. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, but yeah, um, <laughs> we will definitely check in again because I think that project is good. So do you think you get people coming down now this December when the borders open up? Oh yeah, um, I think even sooner than that because um, right now, you know, every day in America gives people a reason to look for another place to live because mm -hmm. it seems like uh, with each person that's, you know, senselessly murdered or shot by the police, it's another character, um, so to speak. And by character, I mean like, uh, so it's not like these people are threatening, right? It can be anybody. Yeah. It could be Elijah McCain who would play violins for kittens at the local shelter. Um, it can be someone who is being a good Samaritan and breaking up a fight between two women. It can be someone who's driving in a car with their children. Like the only common denominator is black skin, mm -hmm. yep. you know, and your black skin isn't going anywhere. So you, maybe you have to go somewhere, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, um, Certainly, you know, people are exploring different options. And I think Ghana is, you know, one of the better options out there as far as, you know, being in West Africa. Um, yeah, I think um, it's also better suited to people who have lived in cities and want a city feel as well, you know, and also as much as we like to complain that the systems don't work here, there are places where there aren't any systems, period. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, Ghana is definitely being, you know, sought after for relocation for lots of people in the diaspora. And I think it's, um, I think it's a beautiful thing. I just hope that we handle it well. Mm. Um, yeah, I hope that it's, it's handled well because otherwise it can be a disaster, you know like True. Liberia when True. you know all the African, when the African Americans were repatriated there yeah True. so yeah so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to see what the rest of the year holds and um yeah taking it a day at a time and just staying on the path awesome awesome well um good luck with that I mean I really really hope it does work out because it sounds really interesting but yeah, um, so yeah, we, I will definitely catch up with you again to see how it go, does work out, maybe before December, and see how it's going awesome. and what your experience has been. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to sharing the uh, updates with you. Awesome. 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 So uh, we'll check in with you later then. Um, so yeah, thanks again for making the time. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And awesome. thank you for inviting me. I truly appreciate it. Awesome. You're welcome. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, really good conversation. I really love your takes. I, I thought they were very interesting. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So we'll talk soon then. All right. All right. Take it easy. All right. All right. All right. You do the same. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.